guys, welcome back to the Training Camp Podcast. The Training Camp Podcast. I got a new chair. With a multitude of guests. <laughs> Can't say he's wrong, am I right? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You, dolphins. <laughs> no, I, I really like Stupid games. 5-0 last week. That's right. 5-0. Dak Prescott, you could lock up that four seed. Again, it's not blazing hot. 65 degrees. I'm going to do this for fun. They threw to Michael Thomas. The Heat. How? Chicago. Yes, you guys get an F. And a little too much personality. No, no. Last week. No, no, Ravens? Oh, fuck. Give me that. <laughs> no way. There's no way. Hammering. Three. Really, do not talk about him. This was my fault. Flex the game. Here we go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Training Camp Podcast. So, guess what? As of yesterday, well, I guess technically it's at 2 o'clock today because I had, like, meetings with professors and stuff. But as of, we're just going to say yesterday when I'm recording this, that's false. As of, when, wait, when as of, as of Monday, as of Monday, <laughs> uh, my semester is over. So, um, yeah, uh, I have the summer all to myself. And uh, I'll be going to my senior year of college. That's freaking wild. I remember graduating high school. I was like, no, oh, senior year when I graduate college is so far away. Yeah, it's 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 a year away. So that's wild. Anyway, um, yeah, we had a big week. Honestly, it feels like the draft was not a week ago, but it was. <laughs> oh, I remember when I used to upload this on Saturdays at uh, noon, <laughs> and I didn't really miss anything. Yeah, I missed those days because then I could have talked about the draft and all this other stuff. So, yeah. Um, all right, let's get into the news of the week. Uh, I know. I know this is old, but it, it, it's new for the podcast. So we're just going to talk about it for a quick second. Uh, Tim Tebow tried out for the Jaguars as tight end. Uh, yeah, honestly, one of the things that I always thought Tebow should have been was a tight end. Like, he has some arm talent, but he was not a he was not a quarterback, honestly. I know he had that run with the Broncos. But, yeah, he wasn't a quarterback. He was just uh, in a good system in, at Florida in college. He had a great head coach in Urban Meyer. And, uh, yeah, I just think when you're set up to succeed in the way that Tebow was in college, you're going to succeed. And he got, you know, he, he, had, he had a good run in uh, the NFL, but I think it's gonna be, it would have been very similar to Lamar Jackson now where, like, people would have figured it out. They would have been able to design schemes to counter what Tebow brought to the t- Shut up! Uh, what, what Tebow brought to the table. Um, oh, congratulations to Chelsea, who just reached the UCL final. Anyway, um, do I think that he'll be the Jacks tight end? Who knows? Honestly, they do kind of need a tight end. I mean, they've kind of addressed every single position. They have good wide receivers, good running backs. They have a good quarterback now, obviously. Good old line. Uh, their defense needs a little bit of work, but, I mean, tight end, definitely. <laughs> if they can sign it for cheap, just why not? At this point, like, why not? You're not going to, you're not missing out on any, or you're not, uh, you're not, like, sacrificing anything. So why not? Give, give, give him a shot. He's built like a tight end. Well, I don't know about it anymore, but, um, yeah. So that's my thought on Tebow. Um, Mike Budenholzer, head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, he's on the hot seat if they do not make a deep playoff run. Are we surprised? This would be the third. If they don't make a deep playoff run this year, this would be the third straight year they have not been able to get, like, put together a deep playoff run. Which, uh, okay, I will say part of it has been Mike Budenholzer's fault. I will also say, though, uh, when you have a uh, easily scum- schemed against star player in Giannis who just leave him on the perimeter and that's basically all the defense you need that's kind of gonna happen but it is the head coach's job to make sure that you can build around a player 
and their strengths and obviously he has not been able to do that in the postseason that's why i don't really value the regular season as much i think when it comes to regular season just getting into the postseason is more important than actually winning 70 games or 60 games or whatever um so yeah I, this is one thing that we kind of talked about Ugh. i had lunch before this <laughs> um that's one thing which I've been kind of talking about, not on the podcast, just with my with people I know. Just like I think Mike Budenholzer is a good coach, but just not a good postseason coach. He's a good like transitional coach until you find that star coach. Uh, I'm curious if they if he does get fired, who they would hire, or if they could lure someone out to go uh, coach for them. Uh, next, the Vikings. Report came out the Vikings wanted Justin Fields with the 14th pick that they ended up trading back to 23. Um, yeah, I, the reason I'm talking about this is like, do do they not trust? Kirk Cousins anymore or like because they just they just signed Kirk they re-signed Kirk Cousins so like do, why <laughs> if you wanted a quarterback uh, I was also kind of surprised they didn't trade up uh, because hello uh, there were teams ahead of them I mean obviously they couldn't see the, the Bears uh, trading up to get him, but I mean there were teams that could have possibly taken him ahead of them So I was surprised that they really wanted him that bad They didn't trade up to get him especially like the Bears got him at 11 and the Vikings originally at 14 So why don't you just like trade up three spots or four spots? You probably could have gotten him. Uh, the, 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 I'm just really curious like Do they not trust Kirk Cousins anymore? Uh, Kirk Cousins isn't old, but uh, he's getting up there And so I'm just curious like were you gonna trade Kirk Cousins? What, what was what? Like, I think it's cool that they wanted it. I think it's definitely smart to look to the future. Was it just gonna be like, okay, we'll have Kirk Cousins for the next two years on his contract, and then once that expires, we won't re-up him and we'll put in Justin Fields. I think sitting behind Kirk Cousins would be smart, but uh, it just—it's a very Jordan Love-ish situation where it's like, well, you're putting him behind a quarterback who can play now. You know, uh, we're, we're gonna talk about that later. Um, next, okay. LeBron report came out that LeBron is unhappy with the plan. Um, yeah, you would be when you're the seven, eight, nine seed. <laughs> so weird though. Last year when you were the the one seed, uh, you w weren't mad about it at all. Yeah, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna be bugged about it because you don't have a sure thing. Uh, I love LeBron. I, I genuinely do. He's like one of my favorite, not only just like NBA players, but just athletes in general, uh, on the court and off the court, because what he does for the community and how good at the game he is. Uh, but this is what I'm going to disagree with you on, Bron. If you uh, don't want to be in the play-in, assemble a better team, honestly. Like, if we look at this team without AD or Bron, not a playoff team. Not a playoff team at all. Probably, like, a high lottery team. Not high as in, like, 10, 11, 12. No, high as in, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, yeah, I don't think... I, it's not fair to say, well, this isn't... This is, this is the stupid idea. A year after it's worked and a year after it had positive reception, I think that LeBron's just saying, well, I can't say I think LeBron's saying this because I don't know LeBron and I don't know his thought process, but it seems like LeBron's just saying this because like, yep, we're in the seventh seed and we're not guaranteed a spot, even though it used to be that uh, one through eight, no matter what, you got the spot. Uh, and so I think it's just a situation where he's like petty about that. Well, it's like, hey, if you don't want to be in that situation, assemble a better team or i'm not gonna say get healthy because that's not something you want to do you don't want to rush your recovery but yeah be on a better team have better coaching staff you know um develop your players better I like kyle kuzma or something. um so i disagree with lebron on this one i think the play is awesome not only does it add like more stakes to the nba but it also just like gives you something to root for man because like if let's say the lowest seed in, in the plane gets in you want to root for that cinderella team because they weren't supposed to be there in the first place um, so I, I don't know. I just think like 
with how positively it was received last year during the bubble with between fans, owners, coaches, and players, like, I just think it's a situation where it's like, well, it's not fair because we're the seventh seed. And like, but last year, you know, they were the one two seed and they didn't say anything about it. And the teams that were in the plane lo absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, that, that's just what I think about that. I think it was really interesting that LeBron came out and said that because usually LeBron's for the most part pretty supportive like new things the NBA brings up obviously like he didn't want to do the all-star game this year but he did do it anyway um but that's also just because he wanted to be safe and he wanted to keep his family safe so I understand that one but for the most part like when the NBA makes changes for the better or that increase um whether it be revenue or viewership usually LeBron's pretty positive about it but this one he wasn't and I was like yeah I know why it's because you are the seventh seed <laughs> like if LeBron was the one two three seed right now he wouldn't have said this let's be real um Next, speaking of coaches on the hot seat, Terry Stotts, head coach of the Trailblazers, is also on the hot seat. If they do not squeak into the playoffs, he will be canned. And it sounds like uh, the biggest report and rumor for who would be filling his spot is Jason Kidd. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. The Terry Scott's getting fired. I, I obviously I don't ever want to wish someone to lose their job, but uh, Terry Stotts has not really been living up to the hype of the Trailblazers. Trailblazers have some really have had some really good roster the past couple years, but they haven't been able to live up to it. I do partially put that on uh, Terry Stotts' coaching abilities. I think Terry Stotts is an okay coach. I think like if you had to give him a, he's like a C plus B minus coach. He's just an average coach. He's very similar to like Mike Budenholzer. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Mike Budenholzer was fired and then uh, Terry Stotts was hired in Milwaukee instead because they're very, very similar as coaches. Um, and with Jason Kidd being lined up, I, I mean, it makes sense because he has head coaching experience. Um, and it'd be really interesting to see him work with Dame because Dame's more of a scorer than a, than a facilitator and distributor. He definitely does like, he, he, he is a floor manager, but he's more of a scorer than he is a distributor with the ball. So it'd be really interesting to see him paired up with Jason Kidd. Um, I, I just don't see, I mean, I do, again, I do see why it's Jason Kidd because he has the experience and he has, uh, he, he's been a head coach before, but it's just also like, you don't want to give anyone else a chance. There's no one else in your coaching staff and no one else around the league that you've seen. You're like, oh, I'd kind of want to see this uh, so-and-so do it. So uh, it does make sense to me that Terry Stotts is on the hot seat. He's been on the hot seat, honestly, for like the past four years at this point. I feel like I've been talking about, with, again, just like with people I know, but I've been talking about him being on the hot seat, like since I graduated high school. So yeah, I'm getting old. Okay. Um, and lastly, this is going to take us into our first segment. Yeah, Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was reportedly, is reportedly unhappy with the Packers. This came out the day of the draft. So, of course, I missed that because this came out on a Thursday and the draft was Thursday night. So, love the timing of this show. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it came out that he is unhappy. And I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about this um, for how I see the situation. And... I'm not going to lie. Last, the draft in 2020, when the Packers did pick Jordan Love, um, I was hoping Pittsburgh would would somehow take Jordan Love because I think Jordan Love is a very good quarterback who is designed to kind of sit behind someone who has had success in the NFL and uh, sit behind them for like two or three years until they either retire or move teams or whatever and uh, then take over the reins. Very similar to like what Aaron Rodgers did with Brett Favre, uh, even though I think Aaron Rodgers is a little more NFL ready when he was drafted. I think it still definitely benefited him um, to sit behind him, or like Patrick Mahomes with, with uh, Alex Smith. And so I was really hoping he would fall to Pittsburgh because at the time it was like Mason Rudolph or Duck Hodges and or you know the whole thing. And so I thought it'd be really interesting to have him behind us. But one of the teams I thought would be smart to pick up Jordan Love was the Packers because the Packers don't have a plan B at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has gotten hurt in the past. Aaron Rodgers is getting old. Uh, I'm not going to say, I don't like saying getting old because then it makes it sound like he can't play. Honestly, if Rodgers has a good O-line, he could probably play for another four or five, maybe even six years. But 
Like, when I was thinking about teams that Jordan Love could go to, because he was a projected first-round pick, I was like, yeah, I mean, late late round, uh, late late first round would make sense. I, and I think the Packers is a good spot for him. He can sit behind Aaron Rodgers. And uh, that's the thing. I don't think the Packers would draft him to be a starter within the next three years. At the time, Aaron Rodgers had three years on his contract. And then they picked him. And for me, I was like, okay, kind of a, that's a smart pick. You're looking towards the future. And then I hopped on Twitter and that's when the world went crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Packers fandom, not happy. NFL fandom, very happy. For Aaron Rodgers, no, no, for the memes. <laughs> that's literally the only thing. Um, I still stand by the pick. I will say, I'll, well, I'll get to this later. I still stand by that pick. I think it's a smart pick because you're looking towards the future. And it's a, it's the situation where you can pick up a fifth-year option if he's looking good on your bench or if you just want to hold on to him just in case. You're developing him for five years. He's a young quarterback, too, and he got drafted. Um so it's smart to do that because you're looking for the future of the franchise. As a GM, you're not only just doing win now, you have to extend it so you don't have to go through that re- rebuilding phase. Uh, the rebuilding phase is what every GM tries to avoid by drafting, you know, heir apparents in second, third rounds. Uh, or like the Chiefs drafted Mahomes in the first round or Jordan Love in the, in the first round as well. And so I, I did think it was smart. And... I mean, obviously, there was a whole NFC Championship thing, and, and their defense was struggling, and so there, there was that situation as well. But overall, with who was on the board at that time, it wasn't the dumbest pick in my mind. Um, now, I, I am going to I'm gonna defend the Packers for right now. I, right now, I'm going to say, you know, the big thing that everyone says about Aaron Rodgers is they haven't gotten him... Um, they haven't gotten him the the weapons on offense. Well, I'm going to dispute that a little bit because it is hard to throw almost 50 touchdowns and win MVP and lead your team to back-to-back 13-3 seasons without having good weapons. I know Devontae Adams isn't a first-round pick. I know he wasn't like a, a highly touted wide receiver. He kind of came into his own just through uh, sheer you know, uh, mentality, honestly, when it comes to like practicing and evolving as a player. So that's all Devontae Adams. But I mean, if you look at the wide receivers he's had and the weapons he's had in his career, you've got obviously Devontae Adams. You had Randall Cobb for the longest time, who I know hasn't been very, very good since he left Green Bay, but with Green Bay, he was a really, really good receiver. Jordy Nelson, Hall of Fame career with the, uh, arguably a Hall of Fame career with the Packers. Uh, Greg Jennings, another great wide receiver that Aaron Rodgers got to throw to. Uh, Donald Driver, another great underrated wide receiver in the, in the NFL that had basically, he was like the kind of, the comparison I make with Donald Driver is Heinz Ward. I think Heinz, he was like the Heinz Ward of the Packers where he didn't drop balls. He was big and he was a big body. Not as just height wise, but also like he was, he was built really, 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 really well. And then tight ends, we have Robert Tunning right now, obviously. Uh, we have, uh, who I'm not going to call highly touted, but he, he's been really, really good. You don't get ton, 10 touchdowns without being having some skill. Uh, Jermichael Finley, one of the biggest names to come to mind when it comes to working with the Packers. He's also had a, a good good slew of running backs over the past 10 to 12 years. His defenses have been pretty damn good, honestly. Uh, I think his GM has done a good job drafting defense, I think, Um and so when I hear, obviously that doesn't really deal with him personally and on offense, but with the weapons that he can deal with, but it does help him out because it's nice to have a good defense to help teams. You know, you don't have to match 40 points every single week. Um, so when I hear that they don't get him weapons, yeah, to a certain point though, because uh, you got like you guys have heard how I talk about running backs. I don't like first round running backs. First round wide receivers, I don't. It's iffy on because there's always wide receivers that fall to the third, second, fourth, second, third, fourth round that are good. So whenever I see them pick, like whenever I see a team pick a third or fourth round wide receiver, I don't 
scratch, I don't write them off because they can be good. Uh, free agency, yeah, they they don't make the big moves. But the Packers aren't known for the big moves. They obviously they signed uh, Devin Funches and then COVID hit, and Devin Funches would have been a great wide receiver too, making there be a competition for the wide receiver wide receiver three spot between Lazard and uh, MVS, which is a great wide receiver core. Honestly, Funches would be a great number, a uh, great wide receiver too. And, and so, you know, I hear people say that, but it's also kind of hard when your quarterback is making a shit ton of money as well, because then you can't afford to pay players. That's why the, the whole rookie contract is super, super important, because that's how you, you build around a quarterback who has a rookie contract. That's why most quarterbacks, when they win the Super Bowl, are in that rookie contract, unless you're Tom Brady, because you're just the god, and, and that you're taking, you're taking pay cuts at that point. Um, so, no, I, I don't think... I don't think that the Packers have been completely unfair to Aaron Rodgers. Like I said, it's hard to throw 50 touchdowns without having any weapons. It's not like he's throwing to, you know, literally nobody. I'm sure he would take the weapons the Packers have right now over like half, maybe even 20 to 25 of the NFL teams right now because they have good weapons and that I will say are probably good because of Aaron Rodgers, but um, they are good now and they are wide receivers and weapons that I'm sure other teams would want. If you look at like the market for Aaron Jones, if Devontae Adams hit the market, I'm sure MVS and uh, Alan Lazard would have a market as well. Same with Devin Funches. He had a market when he got signed. So, and I understand the Jordan Love pick, honestly. It's smart. You're looking to the future because you, you don't just build a you don't just build a franchise for the now. You build a franchise for the future. But now I'm also going to defend Aaron Rodgers because I do agree with a little bit from both sides. Um, the big thing, the biggest thing, obviously, in the when they drafted – Jordan Love was they had just gotten to the NFC Championship and the one thing that they could not do was stop the run. They got ran out for almost 300 yards in the NFC Championship by the Niners and that was something that actually carried over into the 2020 season and we saw, I mean, I remember week 16 or 17 when they played the Titans, uh, I was playing against Derrick Henry in fantasy and he was playing the Packers and I was like, I'm going to lose. I think Derrick Henry needed needed like 14 or 15 points to beat me in fantasy and I was like, I'm, I'm a lock to lose. He's playing the Packers run game. This is Derrick Henry. I'm going to lose. Yeah, no, they held him. It was so weird to like, not even a touchdown, I think like 40 yards. Um, but that was at the end of the season. And still, throughout the entire season, though, it was that mentality of like, yeah, the Packers have a shitty run game, a run defense. And, you know, going into the draft, that was one of the things that they wanted to uh, address. I mean, obviously, one of the big one of the big player names that was available when they took Jordan Love was uh, like Patrick Queen, who ended up going to Baltimore. You know, and then, of course, they went and took a running back in the third uh, was it the third? Yeah, it was the third round when they took the running back. And so, like, that is not fair because, I mean, if you're going to use your first round pick on a quarterback, maybe trade up in the second or use your second round pick on, like, a defensive tackle who's highly stouted or is falling. Um, and so, yes, they did not address the biggest needs. Again, but then there's the, there's the, the catch-22 where if they do draft that defensive tackle, then, then you hear, well, they're not helping Aaron because they're not getting him weapons. Well, it really does help because I mean, in the NFC Championship last year, what was it like thirty points that they would have had to, that they had to put up in order to keep on pace with the Buccaneers? So yeah, it's it's catch twenty two in the situation for the Packers. But I do think that they did not do Rodgers any favor favors by drafting positions that they didn't need. They didn't need a third depth running back. Again, you can't be playing for the future, but Jamal Williams was on a was on a expiring contract year. So that, I mean, I can maybe see that. But at the same time, you don't need three running backs deep. You, you don't, especially if you're planning on bringing back Aaron Jones. There's no point in it. So maybe instead of taking him, take a defensive player who can help out your defense so Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to consistently put up so many points per game. 
Um, another thing, if you look at this offseason, they let Corey Lindsley walk, one of the best, if not the best center in the league right now. Um, yeah, he was probably expensive, but he, you don't want to piss off your quarterback. Maybe just bring back one position, one person that he also just gets along with very well, his center, the guy who he's worked with and probably helped develop to become a great NFL player. Bring him back. No, they let him walk. Okay, cool. Love that. Did they replace him? No, <laughs> they just didn't. Uh, I, I do know that they, you know, obviously they had the, back, the Bakhtiari injury, but, you know, Bakhtiari coming back is not going to solve all their offensive line struggles now that Lindsley is gone. And then um, they they also, the Packers did not make, especially if we look at the last season that just happened, the, during the trade deadline and when the rumors going up to the deadline, they didn't make any plays for players that were available, players like Will Fuller. There were, you know, rumors that Will Fuller's price had dropped from like a first or second or possibly third round pick to like, a couple fourths or maybe a fifth because uh, the Texans knew that they weren't going to get that much out of him and he wasn't going to resign. But the Packers didn't even, there was reports that they didn't even try to go after him. Uh, or like if you look at free agency, they didn't even try to go after J.J. Watt. So like you're not doing him favors by doing stuff like that. Um, so I can see why Aaron Rodgers is upset and I can also see why the, like the Packers think it's not being fair. In this situation, I think with a quarterback winding towards the end of his career, most likely, like I said, he probably has four or five years left, which is still at the end of a career because that's for a quarterback who's going to play almost 20 years. That's a fourth, uh, fifth of the career. Uh, so when you have a quarterback winding towards the end, I think it's okay to start looking to the future, but you still want to help him out and give him the weapons as much as possible. Uh, not every team is going to be able to do what Tom Brady, or not every team is going to be able to support a quarterback like the Buccaneers have been able to support Tom Brady. So that's that's my thoughts about it. Uh, in the next say in the next segment, we're going to talk about my NFL draft comparisons and of course, what I mean. So stick around for that, guys. Hey guys, welcome back to the Train Camp Podcast. Uh, do I do I seem tired? I feel like I might come off as tired, which I am tired. I've been up since like 6 a.m., which isn't actually that long when I think about it because that's usually what time I get up anyway. But <laughs> uh, no, I, am ex- I don't know why. I feel super tired. So if I do not come off as having energy in this podcast, I apologize. Let's try to fix that because this is a segment I've been looking forward to for like a month um, where I'm going to be doing my NFL draft comparison. Before we get into them, uh, the reason I didn't do these before the draft is because like for me, I think it's really hard to to like give a good anal- and a, a good and fair analysis and comparison for NFL uh, draft prospects before you know where they're going because a player can't have a certain ceiling or a certain floor but I think where you go is like 95% of uh, what you will be as a player and I think there are very few players not just in this draft but like in NFL history who are complete fa- franchise overcomers like you can be on a really really dysfunctional horribly touted franchise. Um, but you can fix that because you just have that talent. There are very, rare, there are very few players like that in the history of the league. And so, where you land is a lot is ninety five percent of the time gonna gonna um, gonna produce what kind of player you become just because of the situation that you're put in. There are definitely like I'm sure if Ryan Leaf had wound up on a different team, maybe he would have been better. Or if uh, Johnny Manziel had been drafted by someone else, like obviously they had their problems, but you never know because like that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to Dwayne Haskins being on the Steelers is maybe uh, maybe Mike Tomlin's able to whip him into shape. You never know. Like it just uh, environment is really really huge. So we're gonna look at ten of the biggest names that got drafted uh, in the first round of this draft because some of them were like controversial and some of them were also just the biggest names in the draft, obviously. So let's start with number one, the number one pick, the number one prospect over the past forever Trevor Lawrence his floor for me genuinely I think is Andrew Luck I know that's high I know that's high but uh I think 
you're not a number one recruit for the or a number one prospect and number one draft pick for the past three years. In the past three drafts, if he had entered, he would have been the number one draft pick. He was good in high school. He was good in college. I know he was at Clemson, but I, I, Clemson is one of the few colleges that I do not do the whole well. It's they all they do is throw to good receivers because it's not like Alabama or Ohio State uh, or I guess kind of like LSU right now. Not right now, but when <clears throat> Joe Burrow was there, it was one of the critiques I had Joe Burrow. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence made it work. He only has, what, three wins or three losses in his entire career, and they all came in the postseason in college football. So, yeah, he's basically going into uh, the Jacksonville system without a regular season loss under his belt. That's not easy to do. That's not, that's not just coaching. That's not just skills on the offensive level. That is blatant talent. So I do think that Andrew Luck is his floor because he has the mobility of Andrew Luck, and uh, he also has the the IQ and I think the just kind of the patience of Andrew Luck. I mean, obviously Andrew Luck's a Stanford guy, so Andrew Luck has some intelligence to him, and I think that the way that Trevor Lawrence can sit and process the pocket and process the situation that he's in within a play really helps him out and reflects that of Andrew Luck. So the only is, the only reason I think Andrew Luck or uh, I think Trevor Lawrence could bust is very similar to how kind of Andrew uh, Andrew Luck Andrew Lawrence how Andrew Luck busted, which wasn't really even a bust. He just retired like six, seven, eight years too early because his franchise was not able to get him uh, the protection or the support that he needed. And I think that could definitely happen to Trevor. I think Trevor could have a short-lived NFL career because he isn't given an offensive line because he's in a, in a historically dysfunctional team and a historically dysfunctional system in Jacksonville. And so there could be a situation where he's not given enough protection. He gets hit just like Andrew Luck did. And he has to retire early because uh, he just didn't have the support that he needed. That's the only way I can see him busting. Uh, and then his ceiling, I think, is Joe Montana. I think Trevor Lawrence is a tougher. I know we, it's a different type of league, but I do think he's a tougher just because he's bigger version of Joe Montana, who I think also has a better arm. Um, Montana had the ability to get out of the pocket. He had the ability to extend plays. I think Montana would have been a very, very interesting player to watch play now in the league. I think he'd be one of the best players in the league. And uh, I think Trevor Lawrence definitely represents that. I think Trevor Lawrence could have played in the 80s and would look exactly like how Joe Montana did, but be able to throw a little bit of a bit of a better ball, which is not hard, which is not easy to do because uh, Joe Montana had a good arm. Um, obviously, you don't win multiple Super Bowls like Joe Montana did without having a good arm. So I think Joe Montana, obviously, probably you know, arguably second, third, fourth greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. I know that's a high ceiling, but we're talking ceiling, and Trevor Lawrence's ceiling, you can't even see it. It is so high. Uh, number two, the second overall pick, Zach Wilson. I like Zach Wilson. I actually do. I was really there was a, there was a mock draft like second week into the college football season, and they had him going to Pittsburgh. I was like, I'd be happy with that. He's good. He's mobile. He he gets out of the pocket. He's got a great arm. He's pretty damn accurate. Uh, I was a little questionable just because like he's in B, he's plays for BYU, which doesn't play notably uh, great team like exceptionally exceptionally great teams, um, and so uh, that was my big question mark, but. I, after watching a lot of the tape, I really do like him. Um, my floor for him, yeah, is Andy Dalton. Listen, Andy Dalton's not a horrible career to have in the NFL. He's been in the playoffs multiple times. He was in the MVP conversation, I think it was 2015. Um, 
Like, he's a good quarterback. He's got a good arm. He's called the Red Rifle for a reason. Uh, he's not, like, they actually ran very similar 40s. I think Zach Wilson's was, like, 0.3 faster than, um, not 0.03, but 0.3 faster than Andy Dalton. So he does have a little bit more speed on him. But they're not both known for their mobility. They can get out of the pocket if they need to. Uh, obviously, there's that really, really great video of Zach Wilson just hurling a dude. So Zach Wilson does have a little bit more athletic ability than uh, Andy Dalton. But... For me, very kind of similar to what I was saying about Trevor Lawrence. What what can be Zach Wilson's fall is organizational uh, lack of structure, which the Jets can definitely provide and historically been able to f- fail their highly touted quarterback prospects. I think Zach Wilson could become a prospect of that. And then for ceiling, I, yeah, I think Steve Young. Obviously, <laughs> both went to BYU, so it seems a little on the nose there. But no, I think Steve Young. Steve Young was a little bit more, uh, was a more athletic version of Joe Montana with a less better arm, and I think that's basically what Zach Wilson kind of is when compared to Trevor Lawrence. He's less athletic, um, and he's smaller. And uh, he just doesn't have as good of an arm. And I think that Steve Young still being your ceiling is great. Kind of similar to Trevor Lawrence. I think you can see Zach Wilson's ceiling, but it's not. You got to squint to see it because it's that far out. Um, Trey Lance. Okay. Athleticism and build alone can honestly lead him to success with any team. So that's why I have Cam Newton. But the reason I gave him Cam Newton, which is, again, kind of a high floor, is because he went to the Niners. I think I would have given him a much different floor if he went to the Jets, if he went to the Bears, if he went to the Patriots. He, he would have definitely had, a, even if he went to the Jaguars, he would have definitely had a much, most likely lower floor. Um, but Cam Newton, just being in the Shanahan system, who's not used to having a mobile quarterback who can extend the play with his legs, 100% raised his ceiling up by so much or his uh his floor up by so much and his ceiling I have as a uh, Russell Wilson just because of how big he is not height wise but tough I guess I should say tough instead of big because um that's what I see I I, I don't want to say the Lance is a better arm than Russell Wilson I think he might be a little more accurate than Russell Wilson I think Russell Wilson might be able to throw a better deep ball but Trey Lance is hella accurate he's huge he has a great defense with him now so I see a lot of uh reflections and similarities to when Russell Wilson got drafted to Seattle with the Legion of Boom. He should have a great running game as long as they can stay healthy, which is another similarity to Legion of Boom. And if he has his wide receivers take the steps that we're all kind of expecting them to take this year with San Francisco, then he'll have great wide receivers um, around him, which can help him succeed. And also he has just a great offensive mind with Kyle Shanahan leading the team. So I, yeah, I think Trey Lance has the possibility to be one of the best guys to come out of this draft class. Number four, Justin Fields, taken by the Bears, who traded up to get him. Yes, his floor is RG3. It's a situation where it's like RG3, without an injury, probably would have been a lot better. And I I was like, is his floor going to be RG3 pre-injury, or is it just RG3's kind of career? And it, it's kind of RG3's career itself, um, like even if he didn't get injured, because I think RG3 would have started to slow down anyway because he was taking so many hits. But, I mean, the athletic talent that Justin Fields has matches that of RG3. We saw what uh, Justin Fields ran in his 40 at his pro day. And he also has a much better, like a much better arm than RG3. That was one of the big things RG3 is. He's kind of like Lamar where he didn't have a good arm. Justin Fields actually has a a really, really good arm. Um, And so, yeah, I think the worst case scenario for Justin Fields is, you know, the Bears are the Bears and they don't. They don't provide him. I think that's the biggest thing for the, when you're at the top 
area of the draft, most of the time it's just it's organi- organizational dysfunction. So I think the Bears could succumb to that and possibly ruin Justin Fields. But his ceiling is a Sean Watson, which is funny because the Bears could have had to Sean Watson. But no, you guys said Mitchell Trubisky instead of him or Patrick Mahomes. So sit on that while I sip my coffee. Mm. Um, but the uh, the we saw this especially in the in the championship game. Justin Fields' escapability, his toughness, um, it reminds me a lot of Deshaun Watson. But I think he can have more success than Deshaun did because of the defense that Justin Fields will have in Chicago. Deshaun did not have a defense like that. And Chicago does have a good O-line, which Deshaun never got with uh, with Houston. And so I do think, like, genuinely, if they surround Justin Fields with who already has a great running back in David Montgomery and a great running back coming back in Tariq Cohen and great wide receivers and great, uh, obviously, in Allen Robinson and, uh, oh, God, Mooney. I can't remember his first name. And then they have the up-and-coming tight end, Cole Komet. So, like, they have the pieces around him. And as long as they don't screw this up, he can be better than – he can be Deshaun Watson or possibly, like, a little bit better just because they have the defense to support him and they have the offensive line to protect him. Mac Jones, the one that I have probably seem to hate the most. Um, I don't hate Mac Jones. But, yeah, you guys see <laughs> – you guys see uh, what his, his floor is. I, I, I won't lie. I have Case Keenum as his floor. Uh, well, hey, guess what? When you're not athletic, that's kind of going to come to you. Um, yeah, I just think Case Keenum, he had a good run. I I think, at worst, Mac Jones could be a upper-tier backup like Case Keenum was or a good transitional quarterback. I think it definitely helps him that he's with Bill Belichick, but we also haven't really seen Bill have good success without any quarterback not named Tom Brady. Uh, I know there was the season where Brady was out and they went 10-6, and six, but still, that's not quarterback success that's team success like last season where they went 7-9 with cam so yeah case keenan being his floor i think is pretty fair at worst he just becomes a certified backup and then his ceiling being eli manning which giving patriot fans a hard attack right now (laughs) having an eli manning on your team i think is very accurate as well just because not athletic but has a good arm very accurate and has a presence in the pocket um i think one of the biggest things too that eli succeeded at that we saw Mac Jones, and we just heard about Mac Jones succeeding at a lot as well, is his his ability to just kind of see situations before they happen in the pocket and using that against the defense to pick them apart. I think that's one of Mac Mac, Mac Fields. Mac Jones' greatest strengths, and that was one of Eli's biggest strengths. I think that that can be one of the biggest things that leads him to success. I think, yeah, I mean, being with Bill Belichick and that defensive system that he's established can help, but it's also really hard whenever you don't have that many good offensive weapons historically, and the offensive weapons you have had um, have been built by Tom Brady. Kyle Pitts, the first non-quarterback taken off the board. Um, yeah, very similar to Trevor Lawrence. I don't think he is a quarter. I don't think he is someone who can be a bust or a fail unless an organization fails him. His floor is Darren Waller. I'm not talking Darren Waller as in he starts slow and then finally gets Darren Waller. I'm saying he can be Darren Waller year one. And um, I mean, he, Darren Waller gets put outside because it throws off defenses because he's fast enough and he's big enough to make those catches and make those plays work. So I think that's generally his floor. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because a lot of his comparisons have been to Darren Waller. And I do have his ceiling um, being Kellen Winslow. Obviously, like if not one of the, if not the greatest tight end to ever play the game. Kellen Winslow was the athletic tight end before there was an athletic tight end. He was fast, he was big, and he was able to just kind of moss people. Um, but of course, he played from 79 to I think 87. So he didn't get the notoriety that he would have gotten nowadays. And tight end positions back then weren't... They weren't sexy, you know. They weren't the wide receiver, the running back. So, I think Kyle. I'm not gonna spend too much time on him because he uh, he's one of the bona fide like 
just unbustable players this draft that we've been talking about. And I think especially as he develops throughout his career, if he becomes a better blocker, he'll easily be considered one of the best tight ends of all time, which knows a high ceiling, but hey, I can't see it just like Trevor's. The first wide receiver taken, Jamar Chase. Yes, yes, I know, I know. I gave him a weird floor. I'm aware of it. <laughs> uh, Emmanuel Sanders, this is his floor. I think that's kind of fair. His footwork is very similar to Emmanuel Sanders, where it's very, very good. Um, and his hands, I think... He, he, Jamar doesn't drop a lot of balls. And if he does, it's because he's being guarded very, very well, which doesn't happen very often. Um, but I will say the thing that sh that reminds me of Miami Sanders is that they both weren't, they're both not really known for their route running. It's more of their footwork when it comes to it. But again, Jamar Chase is young, so he can develop that. Um, the acceleration definitely helps Jamar Chase, similar to Miami Sanders, where you don't have to have good route running, but you can accelerate on a route, which helps you get more open and it helps you create separation. So I like that a lot when it comes to Manu when it comes to his comparison to Miami Sanders. That's his floor. That's a good, that's, that's a pretty fair floor. <laughs> um, his ceiling, Marvin Harrison. I, I think Marvin Harrison one of the most underrated like greatest wide receivers ever just because we don't talk about him that much but um his ability his ability to just body defenders is very very akin to how marvin harrison would play and i mean marvin harrison was known for just using his strength and his body uh his body positioning to get open and to get into the right position to take the ball away from the receiver or to at least give himself the best opportunity to catch the ball chase did that at lsu we saw that that's one of the reasons he got taken where he did uh two was an accurate quarterback i don't know about you know how he is deep ball wise right now with Miami, but coming out of college, he was accurate. So he might be able to put the ball in the best place. And, oh wait, not Tua, sorry, Burrow. I don't know why I said Tua, Jesus. Uh, Burrow is a very accurate quarterback and obviously coming off the injury, we don't know what he's going to be like, but they also have that connection as well. So they know how to um, best, they, they know how to uh, put each player in the best position to succeed. Burrow knows where to put the ball for Jamar to be most comfortable with it. And Jamar knows what routes to run and how to run. Uh, in order to get uh, Burrow the most success as possible. That didn't make sense towards the end, but just just roll with me. Uh, Jalen Waddle, yeah, again, kind of weird. I feel like, again, I'm, I'm giving these guys some pretty good floors. Brandon Cooks is a really good floor, and Deshaun Watson's a very good ceiling. The, uh, the big thing with Jalen Waddle is he's just super freaking fast. Like, he's, he's unbelievably fast. Um, that's going to help him with having Devontae Parker on the other side. His speed is what sets him apart from everyone else and uh, his ability to maintain his speed during his route runs. I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of players tend to lose that step while they're running routes. Um, you know, like I said with Jamar Chase, he gets acceleration off of route running, but he's not a good route runner himself, which helps him create separation. Jalen Waddle just gets separation because of his speed. Um, he does have the injury problem, which is why I'm comparing him to Brandon Cooks. I think injuries are what could hold him back, but Brandon Cooks, honestly, without injuries, is probably one of the best wide receivers in the league right now because speed is so important. And then his ceiling being uh, uh, Deshaun Jackson, I think, is a really, really not even generous. That's just pretty fair. Um, he's known for his Jalen Waddle is known for his punt return experience. I think he had two touchdowns in college, and that was what, you know, Deshaun Jackson excelled at. One of his career highlights is that. And Jalen also tends to run through a throw like like uh, Deshaun Jackson does. A lot of players will kind of wait for the throw to come to them. Jalen does not do that. Deshaun did not do that. He will run towards the ball. He will run through the catch to make sure that it, there is no chance of getting picked off. That also gives a quarterback great room to you know place a ball further out because they know that the, the wide receiver is going to run right through it they don't need they don't need the wide receiver to just wait for the ball to come through it. i think that's one of jalen waddle's biggest strengths Najee harris uh this was like one of the biggest surprises of the draft the fact well not the surprise we're not gonna talk about it <laughs> um but yeah i think 
His size and his ability to follow lead blockers and find the lead blockers is one of his biggest strengths. And so, obviously, you guys can see his floor for me is Mark Ingram. His ceiling is Ladainian Tomlinson. I know JP just had a an aneurysm because I compared him to Ladainian Tomlinson. But um, another thing that also he excels at, Najee Harris excels at, is pass protection. And I think that's very, very similar to, to Mark Ingram. He's a little bit bigger than Mark Ingram, not like build-wise, but height-wise. Um, he's kind of like Zach calls him a poor man's Derrick Henry. I can agree with that. I can definitely agree with that. I think he's a little bit faster than Derrick Henry, um, but and doesn't have as much like brute strength as Derrick Henry does, and he's a little bit smaller. But um, I think Mark Ingram is his floor, where it's a situation where he could be a great, you know, he could be a one for a couple of years, and then worst case scenario, he splits backfield with somebody. LT though, I think his body. Oh, I will say this also: uh, Najee's way faster than Mark Ingram is. Um, for the LT comparison. Najee's ball security, his balance, and his route running in the pass game are why I think he can be an LT. Like, honestly, he's a bigger he's a bigger version of Le'Veon Bell, which is what I think LT was. He was a bigger version and a faster version of Le'Veon Bell who excelled in the pass game. I mean, if we look at what uh, Ladane Tomlinson did, he was a good receiver. Uh, people don't, val- don't, don't remember him being a great receiver because of how great he was in the run game, but he opened up the pass game for the Chargers when he played for them. So I think Najee can bring the exact same thing to the Steelers, and the Steelers obviously know how to scheme for a receiving running back. And if the Steelers can get him a good old line, then he will probably be either in that middle ground between the two players or into the upper echelon tier like Ladane and Tomlinson. And last but not least, Trevor Etienne. Okay. Uh, wasn't expecting this. Thanks for fucking over my keeper league team where I have Jim Robinson. I thought I was going to be able to keep him because I got him free agency, so I for the draft to get to keep him in the eighth round. But no, it's fine. Whatever. I can talk about it. I'm not salty about it. Um, yeah, his floor I do have as uh, James White and his ceiling as Le'Veon Bell. I think, okay. His lack of finesse and his ball security issues are what make me see James White. But his excel, his ability to excel in the pass game is also where I see James White. I think Etienne is a is more of a receiving running back right now than he is a rushing running back. I think he just succeeded in the running game because he played a team like Clemson. And he had a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence who was able to open up the running game. Most of the time, run game opens up a quarterback's ability to pass the ball. It was the complete opposite of Clemson. Uh, Trevor was able to, well, tre- tre- Trevor for Travis. Trevor was able to open up the running game for Travis. Um, I think... Th- it, th- Jacksonville came out and said that they drafted him to be a third down back. I think that's perfect for what he is. Uh, His patience, though, and his ability to kind of like gain yards after the catch is very Le'Veon-like. And he can be kind of like Kamara sharing the field with Robinson, but I don't know where that's going. And I realize we have 10 seconds left. So holy crap, I talked for a really long time. Let me know what you guys think about those. And we will come back in just a second for But I Mean. I'm actually really curious what you guys think about my comparison. So please let me know in the comments what you guys think. And I'll see you guys guys for But I Mean in just a second. Well, damn, I did not think I was going to talk that long. (laughs) So this is going to be one of the longer podcasts we've had in a while. Um, so you guys didn't miss it. The first leg we talked about, obviously, news of the week. And we also talked about uh, the Aaron Rodgers situation and dilemma in Green Bay right now. And my thoughts on that. And then I also gave my comparisons for uh, NFL, the NFL like highest how to draw, draft picks from the first round. I kind of ran out of time there, but I'm curious what you guys thought about uh, the comparisons that I gave. In the last leg, where this is a quick leg, though. We're just going to talk about my uh, But I Means of the week. These were actually my But I Means last week, <laughs> but uh, me and Nick talked for like a long-ass time. If you guys missed it, that was a great episode of the podcast. You guys should go check it out. Um, and so I wasn't able to get to the But I Means, but I'm just going to bring them over to this week. So, But I Mean number one. I know Super Bowl rematches are extremely rare. But, I mean, why can't next year's Super Bowl be a rematch between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers? 
How can you tell me that those two teams will not meet again in the Super Bowl? The Buccaneers brought all of their starters back, plus more. They had a great draft. Like, the Buccaneers are basically... I remember they lost their first, like, three games. People were like, oh, yeah, Buccaneers. Three games, man. They've lost three games. They're probably not going to get that far. It's like, three games?! Yeah, they went 10-6. and six. That was their first season together. And then they won the Super Bowl. They could go 6-17-0. Why not? Genuinely, why not? Why not? <laughs> like, that team is so good. And then the Chiefs, they went and got... They had the uh, the trade with the Ravens for Orlando Brown. They took Creed Humphrey, who Pittsburgh you could have had in not only the first, but the second round. We're not going to talk about it, though. And then they also got... Oh, God. What was his name? Uh... Oh, God, I can't remember his name. It was another guy that I really, really wanted. And so they got him, too, for offensive line. So they upgraded their offensive line, even though they let Eric Fisher go. So, yeah, don't know how that happened. They were able to retain everybody. Um, I don't know if they're going to bring back Le'Veon, but honestly, who cares if they do or not because they have a good running back room no matter what because they're getting Williams back after he set out for COVID reasons. And then, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire might excel in his second year in the season or in the system. So, I mean, like, wh what is standing in, in the way of this rematch happening? I don't – maybe this isn't a hot take. Maybe everyone's expecting this. I don't know. Who knows? I'm not going to talk about it. This is stupid. <laughs> it's probably going to happen. Let's go to the second one. Ugh. Okay, I know that they started the year as one of the worst teams in the league. And even I gave them disrespect, like for my playoff or takeoff segment. <laughs> but I mean, why can't the Wizards make the playoffs? <laughs> They're in contention to be in the play-in, which means they can get into the playoffs. Holy crap! If the Wizards make the playoffs, that's unbelievable. Um, shout out to, honestly, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. I think Russell Westbrook's leadership is really being shown right now, which I did not expect. Uh, like, Russ Westbrook is a leader, but, like, he's not disliked any team he goes to, but he, it seems like, you know, a lot of time he's just padding his stats to get the triple-doubles. But, I mean, hey, maybe he's really a leader guy. Maybe we're going to start seeing him kind of how we see CP3 now. Because, um, I mean, this Wizards team is has been god-awful forever. If they had John Wall back and they didn't do the John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade, I really doubt that they would be in, in this position right now. So, I mean, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Russell Westbrook. You also have to give a lot of credit to their coaching. And you have to give a lot of credit to Bradley Beal. Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be really interesting to see who they would play in the first round because they would probably be like the 8th seed or the 7th seed. So they would probably have to play like Philadelphia or or New Jersey. So Or Brooklyn. Jesus, New Jersey. What am I, 2003? Um so they probably would be likely be a one and done in the playoffs. But I still think it's really, really impressive. They started the year being like, how are they this bad? <laughs> and they make the playoffs. Uh, okay, but I mean, number three. Here we go, boys. Let's close this out. I know the Warriors might not make the playoffs. And even if they do, it'll be like one of the lowest seeds in the conference. But, I mean, why can't Steph be a lock for the MVP no matter where the Warriors finish? Are we not seeing this guy... Everyone and their mother, and their mother, yes, my mother, even Alexis, who doesn't even watch the NBA, was like, actually, I, I didn't say this way, it's not everyone and their mother, because my me and my mother didn't say this, but everyone was like, oh, Steph's not, he's going to be exposed to the real player he is, which is somewhat above average, because he doesn't have four stars around him, really? 
really. He just he just crossed the 300 three-pointer made mark for the season. Uh, he did that, by the way, by miss after missing a bunch of games because of an injury. And then he also, uh, he's he's averaging what, like, over the past month, of like, what, 30, uh, casual 35 or 36 points? Yeah, no, no big deal. I kind of just called that, too, and one of my butt I means. Um, the, you cannot tell me, I've said this a million times, you can't tell me this Warriors team would be in the situation they are. This Warriors team is like a 10, current currently, 10, maybe 12-win team max without Steph. And I'm saying without Clay as well, because Clay's been injured the entire season. This team, if they had Clay and Wiseman didn't get hurt, are probably like a four or five seed in the West. Like, or possibly even higher than that. Because I, the, the two teams that I don't think are going to be top, or the three teams that I don't think will be top right now are like the Suns, the Clippers, and the Jazz. But like the Lakers had the whole LeBron injury, injury and everything. If the, if the season goes away, does without Steph getting hurt, Wiseman getting hurt, or Clay getting hurt, this team healthy is easily, easily a top four seed in the Western Conference. But right now, they're somehow still in contention to get a playoff spot. Who is that because of? Is because of Steph Curry. 100%. That's it. Cut the check. That's the podcast. Come at me, comment section. I don't think anyone got this far on the podcast anyway, but hey, if you did, comment. Um, potatoes ain't hoes. All they are are a bunch of carbs. <laughs> Bars. <no. laughs> well, I want to thank you guys for coming into the podcast. Um, coming up on episode 30, guys. That's 30 weeks of the podcast. That's crazy to think about. Uh, if you guys want to check out other episodes of the podcast, make sure you guys do. Also, make sure to check out the description of this video if you're on YouTube and check out the description if you're listening to it on whatever platform you are. So you guys can check out those links down below. Um, yeah, thank you guys for all the support. I love doing the podcast now with the summer coming up. I'm hoping to give it a little more time. And I'm really looking forward to see what happens this summer and see where the podcast goes. I guess I'm in this podcast here. See you guys next episode.